we go downstairs. So you can see kind of the flow. We're going to send all our children that way. Just going to move some wires so I don't trip. And I just mixed my sermon with the uh, worship notes, so if I start singing, you'll know why. All right, good morning. My name is Tommy. Um, I'm really glad to be here this morning. Robert uh, Krumrai, who is the lead pastor, is not here this morning. He is off marrying his son off. Does that happen to men? I guess you'd marry the son off to the woman. Um, so if you're here with me this morning, it means we weren't invited. So I'm not bitter about that, but here we are. If this is your first time, hey, we're really glad to have you here at Mercy House, and we want to make sure that you feel really welcome. Um, this summer, we've been going through the book, uh, or the chapter of, a chapter in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, and what we've been doing is taking very reasonable, bite-sized chunks of the text each week, and I, I think it's actually a really nice change of pace. Uh, I, I don't think we've ever had more volunteers to do the reading at the beginning um, than we have the last couple of weeks. The last time I preached, I literally preached on 33 verses, 33 verses. We had to have two readers, I think, that week. Uh, people were, like, buckling at the knees, trying to sit down. But this week, it's just one verse, one verse. And so I want to give uh, a quick shout-out to Mitchell. Mitchell, where, where are you? Is he gone already? He's gone. <laughs> oh, he's right here. He's right here. Uh, I, I just want to give a, a quick shout-out to Mitchell, who just did a great job last week uh, preaching for the first time. So, Mitchell, awesome. Uh, Satan, you now have a double threat, so watch out, a worshiper and a preacher of the gospel. Um, so, I'm sure that you can imagine kind of the fears and the anxieties uh, that would come with getting up in front of everybody, um, kind of worrying about what you're saying, and, and, and you're preaching and extolling the, the word of God. I mean, it's this emotional roller coaster that's really challenging, really difficult. And, and I remember when I was first learning how to preach, it was actually in this space uh, when I was in college, and, and I'll never remember, I'll never forget what, what my pastor told me uh, when, I was, when I was learning how to do this. So, um, you know, I, I, I was really struggling to think of Okay, what does this text mean? How, how can I illuminate it? How can I use illustrations that, that would help people understand? How, how do we apply this to our lives today? And I remember him sitting me down and saying, Tommy, listen, if you get up there on Sunday, and if you just read the scripture, say amen, close your Bible, and sit down, that is an A sermon. And I was like, I don't know if that was helpful. I was like, sir, is that the feedback you're giving me? Should I do that? Should I actually preach? For me at the time, it was... It was a struggle. Like, I, I, was, I didn't really know how to take that, but I think what I took away from that was the Word of God is powerful. It doesn't need any extra help, right? Um, it, it, God's Word works powerfully whether or not men stand up here and, and preach to expand what that means. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to help people understand where it's at um, and, and, and to hold it up in a higher light. And so I bring this up because this is one of those texts this morning um, that's so straightforward that you might honestly wonder, do we really need to preach a whole sermon on this one verse? And, and let's read it together. So power on your Bibles. Um, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Most of you should already have it memorized at this point. Hebrews 13, verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So if you've been following along in the sermon series, or even if you've read through Hebrews chapter 13, you'd know that the author is diving into some very practical exhortation 
for those of us who would call ourselves followers of Christ. Uh, we've been looking at how to show hospitality, um, how to do, manage, uh, do marriage, how to, how to manage money, um, how to deal with leadership and how to give grace and how to deal with reproach from outside the church. And last week, how to praise and worship God. It, it's almost like a Christianity 101, like a crash course on what it means um, to live a life that's transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we arrive at verse 16, which is, do not neglect to do good and share what you have. And the implication here is that if we are professing a faith in Jesus Christ, um, doing good and sharing what we have are evidence of that faith. So let me say that again. It, it, the implication is that if we are following Jesus, if we are professing, saying that we follow Jesus, it should be evident in our lives by good works and sharing what we have. One verse, very straightforward. Now, it would normally be pretty straightforward, uh, but it gets muddy really quickly. And I think the reason it gets muddy is because of how tainted, and even some ways, in some ways how unhealthy maybe our view of doing good is. Doing good. See, what our culture has done is created this conception of Christianity that is uh, being a Christian means doing good things, right? So if you were to ask people in secular culture, what does it mean to be a, uh, a Christian? It means, well, you're, you're trying to do good things. And I think the non-Christian view of Christianity is, is almost all about what, what Christians do, what we do as Christians, uh, whereas opposed to the scriptural view of Christianity, which is, has everything to do with what God has done. So cultural view is about what we do, what we're supposed to do. Scriptural view of Christianity is what God has done for us. And so what we, we have done as Christians um, in, 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 a, in, a, in a way to correct that view as often as we can is, is we communicate the gospel um, that, that it's all about grace. It's not about what we've done or what we can do in the future. It's not about being good enough or, or about having all of our ducks lined up in a row or, or, ha or keeping our nose clean. Um, it's about trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior and, and not being our own Savior. And that's great, right? That, uh, that is by all means the way that we ought to be correcting our culture's misunderstanding um, on, on what it means to be a Christian. But I think what happens is that we then kind of recoil a bit at the idea of, of doing good as a very general, vague idea, doing good. Where legalism and pragmatism might be one way that we lean as we learn how to be a follower of Jesus, um, it's also possible, and maybe just as common, to lean the other way and be in a place where it, it doesn't matter at all what we do as believers. As long as we love and trust Jesus, live under grace, we can kind of just keep on doing what we're doing until Jesus comes back or calls us home. So where should we strive to be living in that spectrum? Between the enslavement of a legalistic faith that's, that's all about what we can do or what we need to do, and the other side of that, which is kind of an exploited grace where it doesn't matter at all what we do. I'd argue that we're somewhere in the middle. So let's dive in and see what God actually calls us to do. Pray with me real quick. God, thank you for this morning. We do thank you for this rain. We thank you for um, this space where we can worship you freely um, without being oppressed or, or, or being in fear, God. Lord, would you speak to us through your text this morning, through this verse? Would you show, you, show us um, 
what it is you're trying to communicate to us, God. Lord, would you use uh, my words, God, and I pray that, that these words would honor and glorify you and that they would help illuminate um, the text that we read. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one more time, let me read that verse. Uh, verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So first, what does it mean to do good? It seems almost too vague and, and general to, to kind of apply specifically into our lives. But let's see what we can actually gather from the text as we read it. First, uh, I think that there's a difference, obviously, in, in, in being good and doing good. And the author here is exhorting us to do good. So when we talk about being good, being good requires changing a, a principal property um, of who we are as people. And while the secular world would say that being a Christian means trying to be a good person, um, that idea of being something else really doesn't make sense if we can understand Scripture. Being good is a pure, undiluted, unmixed properly, uh, property that, that no one really can maintain. We see this truth when Jesus says uh, in, in Mark 10 and, and Luke 18, after he's referred as, uh, to as, as a good man, he responds, no one is good except God alone. Right? The worldly conception of a good person uh, is, a, is a person who's mostly good, right? So people, you might hear this all the time, people say he, he's a good man or she's a, she's a good woman. And what they mean by that is they're not saying that that person is perfect. No one would say that the standard for a person being a good, a good person is perfection, absolute perfection. But that's actually what the Bible would say goodness is. Goodness is a pure quality. It's, it's wholly good. There's not an ounce of evil. And goodness is a character trait that only God can have and maintain. But by the grace of God, we can do good. That even in a sinful, fallen world, when we are sinful, fallen people, there, there are just glimmers of hope as we see fragments of, of the goodness of God acted out by people, by you and, not, and people out there. And so if you take nothing else away from this text, see that it's not calling us to be good people. It's not calling us to be good, to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, to kind of change the nature of who we are, to be something else because theologically i could not be good any more than i could be scandinavian i'm not scandinavian right i haven't done 23 and me but i'm pretty sure there's zero percent chance or zero percent scandinavian blood in this in this right here right so i couldn't be good any more than i could be a different ethnic group it's just it's impossible scripture calls us to do good however not to be something else but to do something well, what does that mean? What, how, how do we know what is good and what is bad? And I know that might seem like a really silly question, but how do we narrow down this, this really vague command to do good so then we can actually walk out of here tangibly applying it to our lives? So I think that there are a few parameters for determining what is good. One is that um, doing good involves other people. Doing good involves other people. I think that you could come up with some examples uh, where you can kind of do good to yourself, uh, perhaps maybe by exercising or, or eating well to maintain a healthy, healthy lifestyle and to be a good steward of your body. 
Um, or, or maybe doing good for the environment by recycling or helping to preserve areas in nature. Uh, maybe switching to or getting rid of all the plastic straws, right? That's really big right now. Um, to be a good steward of the earth. So being a good steward of your body, being a good steward of the earth. I think that these are two things that, that, that we are called to do, absolutely. I just don't think that in this text, this is necessarily what the author is leaning toward. I think on a larger level, the gospel message drives uh, the priority of, of others over yourself. Of community and fellowship versus individualism and isolation. And even in the immediate context here, we see the author completing the sentence with, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. You can't share with yourself. You're not like, one for me and one for me, right? No, that's not what it's calling us to do. When we're trying to find ways to do good, we must look outward at the people around us. So Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so the targets of our goodness must be everyone around us. Believers and non-believers, family members and neighbors, co-workers, and, and even the person you see at the, at the intersection panhandling for money. Everyone is the target of our goodness, not ourselves. It is an external thing that we do. But how else do we know that the things that we're doing are good? So not only is it aimed at others, but I think the second point would be that um, something is good, uh, something is usually good if there is temptation not to do it, right? So something is usually good if there's temptation not to do it. Let me explain what I mean. When we look at this passage, it starts with do not neglect to do good. So this implies that doing good for others is something that, that can and perhaps often be neglected. And if we can be honest, we don't neglect to do the things that we actually want to do, right? There's no inner monologue for most of us when it comes time for a meal, right? If it's lunchtime, you're not like, hmm, should I eat right now? Or maybe I'll just push through lunch and be miserable for the next five hours until dinner comes along. No, what happens is it's lunchtime. You say, hey, it's lunchtime. Let's go eat, right? You're not neglecting to eat that meal because it's something that you you want to do, and a lot of times you enjoy doing. It's the same like on payday, right? Um, if you don't have direct deposit, which if you don't, you should probably get it, right? It's, it, it's really convenient. But if you don't have direct deposit and you get your paycheck, there's not this inner monologue where you're like, should I deposit my check today? Should I wait like a week or a month? Should I just do it? I don't really want to do No, you get that paycheck and you snap a picture of it and you make sure it gets deposited before Monday. But when there's an opportunity to do good, right, to do good, that's when the inner monologue starts percolating in your brain. Do I really want to help that person move? Do I really want to babysit those people's kids on a Friday night? Do I really want to bring them a meal? That's when the monologue starts happening. It's when opportunities of good, doing good, come up in our lives. Now, some of us, I would argue, um, are more spiritually mature and, and are just better at doing good than other people. Um, I, I think that's, that's a reality of it, and especially those uh, of us with the gift of service. But I think in general, what we need to consider is, is this fact that, that we will often be tempted to not do good things for others. Maybe always be tempted to say, hmm, sorry, I'm busy. 
Why? Why are we tempted to say no? Well, I think this brings us to our third point, which is that doing good for others um, is always at a cost to ourselves. Doing good for others is always at a cost for ourselves. And that cost is going to vary. But there's always a cost. Because doing good to others, at, at a very base level, what it does is that it costs you the time and attention that would normally be exclusively your own. And when you decide to do good for others, you take that resource of your time and your attention and you direct it off of yourself and onto someone else. Whatever that thing is, helping them move, babysit, cook for them, whatever that is. And so this helps us understand the point previous to this, which is that we're often tempted to not do good for others. And, and the reason why we're tempted to not help someone move or, or babysit or, or whatever that, that way of doing good is, um, is that we consider the cost of doing that good too great. It takes too much time on our day off. It, it's too inconvenient. It's too far out of the way. We don't have the resources. It, it kind of digs into uh, the time that we have to veg out and, and just rest. Whatever that cost is, what, whatever the tempting thought is, um, it, it's going to determine the strength of whether or not that is a tempting thought to not do it. So whatever that cost is, whether it takes a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of energy, the temptation to say, no, sorry, I'm busy, is going to mount. But here's, I think, the really beautiful thing. God is not blind to the cost of us doing good. Let me say that again. God is not blind to the cost of us doing good. God is not this distant taskmaster who kind of yells at us to get stuff done without considering the cost or the toll on us as humans. He knows that there's a cost. And what, is, what, is the, uh, what does the verse actually say about that? It says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So God is pleased when he sees us weighing the cost and doing good, and, and weighing the cost of doing the good and, and doing it anyway. God loves seeing his sons and his daughters make sacrifices on the behalf of others, as if it captured perfectly what it would look like to be like daddy. That's how much God treasures it and loves it, is when he sees it, he's like, I like that. That pleases me. Why? Why would it, why would it please God to see us sacrifice ourselves for others? Is, is, is God this kind of like sadistic God who just wants to see us suffer? And the answer is no. Doing good for others at great sacrifice to, to ourselves, what that does is it shows a transformed heart that no longer values self over everyone else. No longer values self over everyone. When, when God sees us making sacrifices for others at a cost to our, ourselves, that's what it shows, the evidence of a transformed heart. When we, by the grace of God, do things for others, um, it is the evidence that, that our faith in Christ ha has flipped our self-centered worldview to a God-centered worldview, world freeing us to be able to love and serve others, radically sacrificing ourselves for others. And it also pleases God because it shows that we trust God, that we trust God. For, for every reason that we have to not help someone else or to not do good, whether it be we don't have enough time, we need rest, 
Uh, we can't spare the resources. Uh, it's, too, it's at too great of a cost to ourselves. We, we actively give God control and trust him to, to sustain us and to give us what we need, even if it doesn't line up on paper for it to make sense for us. We can trust God with that cost. And so God is pleased when we sacrifice ourselves in doing good for others because it's evidence of a transformed heart in his children, and it shows us that we trust in him. And lastly, because it communicates the gospel. It communicates the gospel. This brings me to my last parameter for figuring out how to do good. If it brings glory to God, it's a good thing. If it brings glory to God, it's a good thing. If, we, if what we do brings glory and praise to us, makes much of us, it's not good in the way that scripture would lay out good. But if what we do makes much of God, it's a good thing. And that's not to say that we can't personally benefit from or, or find joy and satisfaction in doing good and helping other people, there's certainly going to be byproducts of doing what God made us to do that are a benefit to us. But in doing good for others, the glory ought to point to God and not to ourselves. Matthew 5, 15 through 16 says, Nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so it's in this that we find a purpose for our good works. We don't do good in order to receive salvation or to maintain salvation or to get something from God. We do good so that it makes God look great for what he has already done. First Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct, conduct um, among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So when our brothers and sisters see us do good for one another, sacrificing our time, our talent, our treasure to serve one another, um, it, it should be a display for them of the gospel transforming our lives and, and making us more and more godly. Not to puff us up, but to put on display the work of God in us to encourage them to do the same. And when non-believers non -believers see us doing good, um, it's a demonstration of some greater force empowering us to put others above ourselves over and over and over again, even when it's inconvenient to do so. Not to gain fame um, or, or respect from those outside of the church, but with the purpose of turning conversation and attention toward God. So that when someone asks you, uh, what, why do you spend so much time helping others? Why do you sacrifice so much to do good? Um, our answer ought not to be because it's the right thing to do. You know, it just makes me feel good to, to help other people. No. Doing good allows us the opportunity to preach the gospel, to say, I do good for others. I sacrifice myself for others because God has done the greatest good for me and made the greatest sacrifice for me. I know this summer we've had a lot of heat, right? So on Sunday morning, it's easy to like fade, especially with the longer sermons. So with this one verse, I, I really wanted to keep things very simple because I think that it's possible to talk too much, <laughs> right? 
and I've done this. I've preached over an hour. That used to be like my average time was like 60 minutes or more, right? People are giving me disgusted looks right now. Don't worry, that's not happening this morning. When we return to the text, that's it, right? That's what it's saying. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have with others. Now, why would the author include share what you have? Seems a little peculiar. I think it's because even as adults, and I see this in my little two-year-old, but even with adults, um, we, we struggle with sharing. We struggle with sharing what is ours. I think it's the author's way of calling out those who might have a divided heart, uh, to be honest, uh, that, that maybe we're willing to give up our time um, and, and maybe some of our talent, uh, but our resources are, are our resources. Like, we worked for these. These are mine. I'm going to stamp my name on it, and this is unshareable, whereas everything else, yeah, I'll, I'll give that up. Um, I think the text for us is it, it's including this uh, because sharing our time might come easy, but sharing the things that we own or that we have could be a lot harder. I think that's why it's included for us to do good and to share with one another because it gets to an issue that is very close to the heart. At the end of the day, I think we all know what, what it means to do good, right? I don't think anybody in this room is still like, oh man, I don't, I don't know how to do good. I think that we do. By the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit in us as well, it's going to direct us to opportunities to do good for one another. I think that we see opportunities to, to do good every single day. And I think connected to that, there are just as many temptations um, to not do those good things as there are opportunities to do the good things. And look, I'm not saying it's easy. Um, doing good and helping others, uh, they come with some serious costs sometimes. Uh, carrying one another's burdens is tiring. Uh, serving other people without getting anything in return is exhausting. And there are days when I'm just trying to make it out alive. You guys ever have that feeling, right? And you're just like, oh, God, okay, just I got to get through the day. I got to get to the I just got to get to my pillow at the end of the day in one piece. And if I can do that, thank you, Jesus. And so I think that there's a serious challenge, right? I can hardly imagine on those days having the energy and the stamina to look for more ways to spend and exhaust myself. But that's what God calls us to do. That's the challenge. Now, how can God do that, you might ask? Um, how can he do something that would seem so insensitive and so demanding? How can he expect us to pour ourselves out day after day after day? Well, God is able to call us to do good at the cost of ourselves because God has done the greatest good at the highest cost to himself. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and after blessing it said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Each week when we take communion, um, we get to relive the gospel. Um, every single time we do good at the cost of others, we also get to proclaim the gospel. It, it's this micro image of the God of the universe doing this ultimate act of good and redeeming us back to himself at the cost of his little baby boy. And when we take communion, we remember 
this, this great and awesome good that has been done for us. And this morning, uh, we remember that God isn't asking us to do something that he himself has not done and paid for. So my challenge for us this morning is really simple. As, as we take communion, um, ask God if there are ways that you can do good for the people around you. That seems like such a basic prayer. But I think that if you honestly pray for it and you honestly have ears that are open and, and, and eyes that are open, um, to opportunities to do good, God is going to inundate you with ways to do good. I think when we're given these chances, there are two truths that we can cling on to. One is that whatever sacrifice that you make in doing good, that is seen and, and, and appreciated and, and found sweet by God. Whatever sacrifice you make, whatever that cost is of doing good, God is going to see it and love it. And the second thing is, is um, you get to proclaim the gospel message by doing good. You get to create opportunities to talk about why God has transformed your life in such a radical way that you can put the needs of others above your own. That's why we do good. Not to make ourselves feel better, not to receive salvation or maintain our salvation, but to speak about what God has done in our lives. If you're completely stumped and have no idea of how to do good, that's okay. Come talk to some of the people on staff. You can talk to Lois or Austin or Megan or V, um, anybody who has a name tag that says staff. And, and there are plenty of opportunities for you to plug in and to, and to do good, both toward people in our church, in our, in our church family, but then also out there in our local community and beyond. If you haven't taken communion with us uh, at Mercy House, what we do is we just form uh, two lines right down the center here, and you're going to come down, and someone's going to hand you um, the bread, and you're going to walk around and, and take the cup on both sides, and then you're going to circle back into your seats. And, and we encourage you to take it at your own time. Um, take it as God directs you. In that time, we'll also be having some worship music, and there will be people in the back, and I'll be back there as well. Um, if, if you want to be prayed for or if you'd like to pray for me, I would love for you to pray for me as well. Um, but doing good, right? Do good and share what you have. It's a very simple message with profound implications on what the gospel is. So let's meditate on that this morning. Let me pray. God, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for the ultimate good at the greatest cost that you have done for us. And I pray, Lord, that as we walk out of here, um, that it would be fresh on our hearts and that it would be the motivation um, for us to do the same, God. God, I, I pray that this would be a place where we could be like you. And, and, and what a radical, radical way to live out our faith and how profoundly it would change this town uh, and this, this state, God, if our churches, if, if, if we would be able to sacrifice ourselves for the good of those around us um, as, as you did for us, God. And I pray that it would start here this morning. Lord, I pray that, that you would work in our hearts, soften our hearts, Lord, and empower us to do good by the grace of your gospel. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.